So again, I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through 19. Matthew 16, 15 through 19. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. If you want to leave your Bible open there to Matthew chapter 16, that's where we will begin. We won't stay there long, but uh, that is where we will begin. A couple words of appreciation, com uh, commendation for this congregation. It's been a busy week. On Monday, we had over, I uh, think, about 250 young people and adults from various uh, groups around in the area for the uh, Summer Youth Series, the Jabberwacky, the uh, Bay Area Youth Series, however it's known. I want to appreciate uh, all of those who had a hand in uh, putting together food and uh, making logistically it possible for all of these young people to come, and it was a great time. The singing was awesome, and uh, you would have been encouraged had you been here, uh, and those of you that were here were certainly encouraged to appreciate uh, all of those who uh, took part in that, uh, that event on Monday evening. Yesterday evening, uh, the Graver families, uh, the ones with young children, came together over at the Gately's house, appreciate them opening up their home, and uh, enjoyed some hot dogs and time together. And um, I noticed something that I wish I'd taken a picture of had I had my cell phone with me, but on, uh, uh, throughout the evening's activities, there was a table where some folks were sitting, and there were about seven or eight cell phones that were just left out there on the t surface of the table. They weren't in somebody's hand, you know, as we uh, disengaged from one another, but they were sitting there all on the table while it was that we were all gathering together and enjoying a time of fellowship and fun and uh, enjoying one another. Folks, if I can just drop this off as we're flying over, I think we need to do more of that. As God's people, certainly, we become more distinctive if at our meal times, if we go into a restaurant and we take our cell phones and either leave them in a car or leave them on silent, like I know that you've done this morning for worship, and leave them on silent so that we can visit together as a family. It's a lost and dying art is visiting together and talking to one another because we get in social situations and what you're going to notice is a lot of people are more engaged with what's going on on their news feed or what's going on somewhere else and not plugged into what's happening right here. But I appreciate the time that we got to spend uh, with the families, young families, and hope it is that you'll avail yourselves of opportunities to do that more often, because I know this congregation is active and involved in the lives of others, and I certainly appreciate that. On Thursday, I was here. That's the last day, the last uh, day of the work week that I spend. There was an enormous hubbub of activity here at the building. There were comings and goings that like I have never seen since I've been here. And it was a wonderful thing because every three minutes there would come somebody different into the office to need something or to do something. We are in full swing of our preparation for Vacation Bible School. That begins, Lord willing, a week from tomorrow. I hope it is that you're making plans to get your kids from your neighborhood or get your kids and their friends from school up here so it is that we can teach them the Word of God. We appreciate so much 
all of those who have had a hand in preparing our Vacation Bible School. If it is that you're looking for something to do, go talk to Rebecca Martin. I'm sure she's got more than enough work and uh, others, and she can point you in the direction of somebody that needs help for our Vacation Bible School. And I hope it is that you're looking forward to that and that uh, it's going to be an excellent week of time together. If we miss, folks, the distinctiveness of the New Testament church, if we miss the beauty and the special nature of the New Testament church, we have missed the entire purpose of why Jesus came here to this earth. If we take the church and we relegate it to what just happens on Sunday morning, and we say it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the mission and who Jesus was and everything about him, we have missed it. We have missed the entire point of why Jesus came to this earth. I am going to spend some time, we are going to spend some time together this morning talking about the distinctiveness of the New Testament church because by and large, what you're going to find is, even among Christians, that distinctiveness is being washed away in a lot of respects. People say it doesn't matter what church you join or what church you're a part of, just as long as you go and you, uh, if it is that you accept Jesus, which is not found in the Bible, and then just go join yourself to the church of your choice, what they've done is they've divorced the purpose and mission of Jesus from why it is that we gather together every single Lord's Day, the body of what Christ did. The church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23. Folks, we have got to respect the beauty of and the distinctiveness of, God, of what Christ did on the cross in establishing the church. Man left to himself is going to create a mess of things. That's just the way it is. Man, if it is, man just uses his own wisdom and his own rationality about things, he's going to make a mess of things. And when we talk, especially in realms of religion, of what God has said versus what God has not said, where man tries to intercede and put his opinion and insert that and teach that as doctrine, there is going to come confusion. The Bible tells us God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints, 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 33. And when it comes to the distinctiveness of the church, man has said, well, listen, it doesn't really matter. Did you know in the year 1900, in the year 1900, there were 1,880 distinct denominations? That is, 1,800 uh, distinct bodies of believers that were all professing to follow Jesus. Fast forward 100 years to the year 2000. That 1,880 had grown to over 33,000 distinct denominations, bodies of groups of people who are religious in nature, who are all professing to follow Jesus. Today, it is well over 40,000 distinct denominations, religious groups, that are all saying, listen, it doesn't matter anything about the church just as long as we're following Jesus. Folks, if that's what we believe, we have missed it. And we intend to look into Scripture this morning and say, what does Jesus say? What does the Bible say about the church that Christ established? Because we have got to uphold as God's people the distinctiveness of the church. We've got to uphold as God's people the beauty of the people who are, dwelling, or who are here in this room this morning to worship God. You see, when we begin to think things about the church that the Bible doesn't teach, we begin to come up with false ideas. 
two young people were in the foyer one time, and they were standing out back, and they were uh, talking to one another, and one of them told the lie, and the other one said, you shouldn't lie in church. Well, is that what the church is? Is this the church? Is this some sacred, holy place where it is that we come together because this is where God lives? Is that what the Bible teaches? This is a church building, but folks, we are the church. Individuals, people, collectively. It is that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us collectively. Folks, we need to understand something about the church or we are going to miss who Christ is and what it is that he came to do. You know, in many circles, it was never even a question in people's minds, a question to see if the church down the road or this church or their church was even able to fit the pattern that God's laid down through Christ about biblical Christianity. And the problem is, is that our world has grown so intolerant of beliefs that are not tolerant, if I can say that like that. That is, if I can take a statement to say, I believe the Bible teaches there is one church. And we can find that church today, here on earth, if it is that we look for it. Somebody's going to say, that statement's arrogant. How is it that you can disqualify and say, that church down the road is not the church that Jesus built? How can you say that that church over there is not practicing New Testament Christianity? How can you say they don't teach the Bible? How is it that you say that they're not, that they're not faithful to Christ? Folks, we've got to look to the Word of God for our answers. And it is understanding, folks, the distinctiveness of the New Testament church that we're going to understand more about Jesus who purchased it. A couple of points this morning to talk about the distinctiveness of the New Testament church as we strive to put the church in its place. First point is going to be made there in your Bible from Matthew chapter 16, the passage John read just for a moment ago. Two sections, verse 16 and 18. Jesus comes into the region of Caesarea Philippi, and you remember the question he asked his disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they had a number of answers. Some people say this, some people say that. And he says, but who do you say that I am? That's an excellent question that I need to ask for myself. Who do I say Jesus is? Do I say Jesus is the greatest social worker that ever lived on this earth? Do I say that Jesus is uh, somebody who came to right all wrongs and, and eliminate and make social justice and all this other things? Uh, is that what Jesus came to do? Simon Peter answers and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. As Jesus talks to Simon uh, Peter, he says, and I say to you that you are Peter, and flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. He goes on to say, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. If I were to say, Upon this vacant plot of land, I'm going to build my house. What Jesus is saying is, This is still future tense. Upon this rock I will build my church. But some people are going to ask the question. We're going to ask the question, What rock is he talking about? What rock is he talking about about this? Upon this rock I will build my church. There are some who have looked at the context and will say, well, he's obviously talking about Peter. I say to you that, I'm, uh, that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. What you have to look at in the Greek is what the word is he uses for rock whenever he refers to Peter. word for rock in Greek is petros. That is just a little tiny pebble. But then he goes on, he says, upon this rock, that is Petra, we're talking about a foundation stone, a bedrock, a, 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 a slab. Upon this rock, I will build my church. He's not talking about Peter. And so I have to look back up in the context and see what it is that he's talking about. 
You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. There is nothing in the New Testament that teaches that the church is built upon Peter. There's nothing in the New Testament that teaches that Peter is the cornerstone and the foundation for which the church stands. You know what is in the New Testament is the fact that Jesus Christ is that foundation. No other foundation can any man lay than that which has been laid, that is Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. Jesus Christ is one Lord. He intended this church to be built. He intended this church before the foundation of the world, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. This was not some sort of divine plan B, where mankind rejected Christianity and the church is kind of like a fail-safe until it is that Christ can come back and establish his earthly kingdom, as, as one false doctrine talks about. It is still future tense here in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. What I find is, is that there is a change from right here in Matthew 16 and verse 18 all the way over to where Paul is talking to the elders of the church at Miletus, the elders of the Ephesian church there in Acts 20 verse 28, and it says, you are shepherds of the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Somewhere in between Matthew 16 and verse 18 and, uh, and Acts chapter 20, this church came into existence. Where is that? You're going to find it here in just a moment in Acts chapter 2. I invite you to turn any Bibles over there, please, as we uh, talk about uh, and Christ intending this specific church. But this next point of Christ establishing a specific church. Christ established a specific church. Look at Acts chapter 1 just for a moment. I'm going to give you a number of scriptures here, and we're going to play connect the dots just for a moment. Because it's important for all of us to put our fingers on this. If you don't have your Bible open, please do so. Please do so, and look at this with us. Beginning at the end of the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 24, what Christ tells his disciples is, listen, you all are going to be witnesses of me, and he says, you're going to be witnesses to me on all the earth, but I want you to go and I want you to wait from power to, to be endued for me from power on high. He's going to say the exact same thing in Luke chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Or verse, uh, chapter, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 4. Or excuse me, Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them to not to depart from Jerusalem, but to, underline this, Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. When you jump down to verse 8, he says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. And here it is again. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of all the earth. There is coming, Jesus says, a day pretty soon where it is that you're going to receive power from on high. I want you to wait here in Jerusalem for that day to happen. Acts chapter 1 and verse 22. Jump down in the context. As Peter and the other, uh, the other ten at this point are picking that new replacement for Judas, that other one that's going to fulfill the twelve. Look at verse 22. He says, beginning from the baptism of John to the day when he was taken up from us, one of us must become a witness of, with us of his resurrection. Verse 25, to take part in this ministry and this apostleship from which Judas by his own transgression fell to go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now here's these twelve witnesses that in, in some days coming up, they're going to be endued with power from on high, receive power from the Holy Spirit. Well, when does that happen? 
Look in Acts chapter 2 and verse 4. Follow this throughout the book of Acts, uh, throughout the chapter of uh, Acts chapter 2. Verse 4. They began to be filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There's the Holy Spirit coming upon them. Acts chapter 2 and verse 14, Peter, standing up with his eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men in Judea, be all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Here's where the witness begins, and heed my words. Verse 22, he begins to preach about Jesus. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, uh, by God, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Here is the witness. You saw him do these things. Verse 32, in the context of Acts chapter 2, this Jesus God has raised up, of whom we are all witnesses. What was the purpose of witnessing? What was the purpose of them standing up and giving this testimony about Jesus being raised from the dead? Was it just to say, hey, you guys can have salvation? It is God bringing into existence, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the church. Look verse 36. Let all the house of Israel know that God has made this Jesus, whom you've crucified, both Lord and Christ. Wait a minute. What was the church going to be founded on? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Christ directed the apostles. The Holy Spirit filled them and enabled them to do this work, this great work, and to speak to all these different people. They were not charismatic outbursts. They were not ecstatic utterances of, of just somebody that's all been worked up. These are languages that they're speaking so that people can hear the word of God and they can respond to it. What did they need to do? They needed to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. And the church was established on this day. Look down in verse 47. And the Lord added daily to the church those who were being saved. Back up in verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers. All instruction that the apostles were given was given by the Holy Spirit. There's such thing in the army as chain of command. That you have this individual up here that's going to give an order. And that order is going to be carried out by some that are under him. And that order is going to be carried out by some that are under them to the point where it filters all the way down. What God did in sending Jesus was reveal to the people the Father, who God is. That's John chapter 1. What Jesus did is that he told these apostles before it was that he was crucified and before he was raised, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to teach you all things whatsoever I've commanded you. He said I, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to reveal to you everything and bring to your remembrance everything that I taught you. And as the Holy Spirit directed these men on the day of Pentecost, you know what they directed people to? The body of the saved. And there were added to them that day about 3,000 souls. Verse 41. Folks, Christ established this special, this specific church. And God established, Christ established through the Holy Spirit, the church exactly the way that it was supposed to be. If I'm looking here at Acts chapter 2, and I see that this is the way that the church was established, and I see the way that it is that people were added to the church, and I see the way that the apostles taught and how the people continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and the breaking of bread and in prayers, 
And I have a question about the way that the church operates and the way that it's put together and the purpose of the church. Where do I need to go back to to find answers to those questions? Folks, we have to go back to the word to see what the specific church looked like. Go back to the beginning. Do you realize that we who are members of the church that Christ established, we are a movement as much as anything. We're a movement as much as anything because we're directing people all the way back to the beginning. Where the church was established, circa 33 A.D., we don't want to take our own human, uh, human wisdom and our own intuition and say, well, I think this is how the church ought to function. I think this is how the church ought to be. When I have a question about life and about godliness and about practice and about worship and about everything else that the Holy Spirit has revealed through the apostles, I need to go back to the very beginning. I need to point men's minds back and say, what did that early church do? How did they behave? How did Christ specify this specific church? To do anything less is to be dishonoring to the Savior who purchased it. I don't want to dishonor Jesus, do you? I don't want to be presumptuous in what Jesus, what I think that Jesus thought or what he taught about the New Testament church, do you? God forbid that any of us do that. But we have a responsibility to this specific church to look at it and realize that Christ distinguished the specific church. Christ distinguished the specific church. Church is not a social club, although we do socialize. The church is not a democracy. It is a monarchy with Christ at the head as king. And as we look at the church and as we look at what men have said about it, you realize that when we say something about the church, and about the distinctiveness of it, or we speak as if it's not distinctive at all, we're really talking about another man's wife. It's been said before that you can say whatever you want to about me, but don't mess with my wife. You don't talk bad about her. You take care of what you say and how you say it to her, because if not, you're going to have a problem with me. You know how the church is referred Ephesians 2, verses 22 through, 23, uh, through 33, in talking about the relationship of a husband and his wife, about the husband being the head of the wife and the wife submitting herself to the husband just the way Christ does to the church. And looking about the relationship of here's Christ as the head and here's the church, his bride, his holy bride. There's a number of passages that teach that, not the least of which Revelation 21, 1 and 2. When you look and see that the church is the bride of Christ, there is a distinctiveness there. There's a purity there. There's a holiness there that we need to respect. And realizing that just as my wife is distinctive to me because she's my wife, those of you gentlemen that are married, how would you like it if I took your wife and said, well, she's going to wear my name. She's going to come home with me. You say, no, sir, that's my wife. You respect that relationship. Folks, the church is the bride of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. And I use this illustration sometimes in Bible studies. I've got a Honda Pilot that's 2007 that's got the paint coming off on one side and, you know, it's got the junk and, you know, probably fast food cups in the back seat, you know, the, the giant uh, Route 44 things, you know, there's probably six of them back there in the back seat. And if I took this Honda Pilot, this 2007 gray Honda Pilot, and I put it in a lot with 10,000 Honda Pilots that are gray, 
from various makes, various views, and, and we had this lot of 10,000 gray Honda Pilots. And I gave Peggy a list of instructions that said, Peggy, I want you to go find my car. Here's what it looks like. You think she could find it? You think she could use that little key fob and, you know, uh, keep pushing the button until she heard, doot, doot, right? Can you think she could do that? You think she could look and see all of those different uh, scratches and the, the Route 44 cups and even the distinctiveness of my car out of all those other 10,000 cars that are not mine, or 9,999? Answer is yes. Might take her a while, but she could. When we talk about the church that Christ established and the church that Christ built, can we find the distinctive marks of the church of Christ? Can we see what Christ's bride looks like? And the answer is yes. How do we know? We've got to go back to what Scripture tells us that it is. We've got to go back to looking at the conduct of the people who make up the church. We've got to go back and look and see things about membership. How does the Bible tell us that we become members of the church? One man asked me this question. He said, you know, uh, you talk about being added to the church. He said, what do you have against church membership? What, have, what do you have against attendance roles? I said, I don't have anything against those. I said, but when we tell people that you just accept Christ and then go join in the church of your choice, that's not biblical. The Bible tells me that when I obey the gospel in humility and I submit myself to Christ and, and the waters of baptism, I'm raised to walk in newness of life. The Bible tells me that I am added to the church that Christ built. That's nothing that I get to decide the terms of my membership. The Bible tells me I'm added to the body of believers, and I need to respect that and realize that in purity and holiness, I am distinct. The church is distinct. church isn't distinct in purpose and what it's all about. The church is distinct in worship. Jesus said, God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, John 4 and verse 24. Church is distinctive in name. Church is distinctive in name. Disciples were first called Christians in Antioch, Acts 11.26. If my wife chose to change her last name and say, you know what? I don't want to be known as a baker anymore. I want to be known as an Albers. Now on it's Catherine Albers. Well, I'm going to have a problem with that. Why? Because she's my wife. She wears my name. She, uh, she and I have this relationship where it is that she surrendered herself whenever it is that we surrendered one another in marriage. When we talk about the church, shouldn't the church be honoring to Christ who purchased it? Said another way, why would I dishonor Christ by naming his church, what the New Testament calls his church, the body believers, the pillar and the ground of truth, the church of God, the church of Christ. And why would I name it after a particular day, like the day of Pentecost? Why would I name it after a man who tried to reform another church, Martin Luther? Why would I name it after a particular act, like baptism? Why would I name it after a particular day, such as Saturday? But we have that. People that want to be distinctive by what they're known for, practices. We have Baptist. We have Methodist. We have Lutheran. We have Pentecostal. We have Sabbatarian. We have Seventh-day Adventist. We have all sorts of different groups that are all professing to follow Jesus. And the question we have to ask is, folks, when those believers in Acts chapter 2 were baptized and added to the church, 
What church were they added to? Which church was it? In Acts chapter 2, 33 AD, the very beginning, what church were they added to? Was it the Methodist church? Was it the Baptist church? I'm not degrading any of these people. I'm just saying, let's look back and see what church were they added, they were added to the church that Christ established. And for us to point to any other thing and say, well, let's hold up this day or let's hold up this practice or let's hold up this man and let's do these things, you know, to, to, to try and honor Christ, we're dishonoring Christ. We haven't rightly divided the word of truth because Christ has distinguished this particular church. He's distinguished it in admission. He's distinguished it in admission, as we talked about from Acts chapter 2 just a moment ago. And we need to honor Christ with regard to the distinguishing characteristics of this church. We can find this specific church on earth today. We can find this specific church on earth today. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, Christ is the head over all things to the church, which is his body. The church is going to willingly submit itself to Christ. It's going to look back to Jesus and say, what did Jesus teach about that? What did the apostles teach about that? Because we know that they had Christ's words given to them by the Holy Spirit. He brought to their remembrance everything that Jesus taught. What did the early church do? What did they practice? What was good? What was approved by the Lord? And wherever the seed is sown, it's going to make Christians. You know, in 2,000 years since the word was originally given, Jude tells us that it was once for all delivered in the lifetime of the apostles. Jude 3. If I look and I see what that seed was able to make in the first century, and I carry it all the way over here to now 2018, America, and I look just at the seed and I say, is that seed not still powerful? If that seed is sown in the heart of men, what is it going to make? The answer is Christians. Christians, it's not going to make a denomination. It's going to make Christians. Well, the seed hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Have the hearts of men changed? I know that we're much more technologically advanced than they were. And I know that there are certain mediums for different sins and different, uh, different uh, uh, lifestyles that are, not, that are not holy. But folks, it's still the same old sins down the pike. And if the seed was powerful to touch the lives of those people back then, even with the sins problems that they had, is it not still powerful to touch the lives of people today? And if that seed is sown in, in good and honest hearts, what is it going to make? Folks, it's going to make Christians. It's going to make the church that Jesus Christ established, the New Testament church. Daniel said, by prophecy in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44, interpreting the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, that God in the days of the kings of, of, of the Roman kingdom, God is going to establish a kingdom which is never going to be destroyed. That mirrors the words of Jesus there in Matthew 16 and verse 18 when he said, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. You know, if somebody's looking for the distinguishing characteristics of the church, if they just take the Bible, if they take it and they go and they say, I'm going to make a list of everything that distinguishes the church that Christ established. I want to look at worship. I want to look at work. I want to look at membership. I want to look at the name. I want to look at uh, the organization. I want to look at all of it. And I want to see just what the Bible says about the church that Christ established because I want to be a part of that church. Brothers and sisters, they can find it. They can find it. 
It is the group that's willingly and humbly going to look at themselves and say, I can't solve this on my own. I need to turn to Jesus. I can't organize the church any better than God did. You know what God did? God said, here's the way the church is going to be organized. Plurality of elders, shepherds, overseers, who are men of integrity and men of character, according to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. Men who are going to shepherd the church of God. It is not one. It is not a single pastor system. That is not in the Bible. Did you realize that? There is not authority for one person to be known as the pastor and to shepherd the entire church. That's not in Scripture. But when you find the pattern in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, it says there is a church with elders and then deacons. Men who are going about kicking up the dust. Men who are going about taking care of maybe physical needs with spiritual consequences. Things that absolutely need to be done. There are men who are characteristic of deacons. There in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, there's, tie, there's, uh, there's, there's qualifications for those men to meet. And as those men meet those qualifications and as the structure of the church, the way that Christ established it is set up, folks, we can see the distinctiveness and the distinctive mark of it. When we look about how those early Christians were baptized into Christ, raised to walk in newness of life, God adding them to the church. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27 that uh, as many of you have been baptized into Christ, we're baptized into Christ, we're part of his body, we're part of his kingdom, we're part of the church. That's what the Bible teaches. It's not accept Christ on your own terms and go join the church of your choice. That's not a biblical idea. What are we doing we are trying to humble ourselves and point people back every single time and point our minds back to what am I authorized to do? What does Jesus, who is the foundation of the church, who is the king of the, of the uh, kingdom, how do we honor him? How do we follow him? And so here's the now what? <laughs> here's the now what? We have responsibilities to this specific church. I had a young man who was from New Zealand years ago. He went through the Southwest School of Bible Studies. He determined that he was going to do just what we talked about. That is, he wanted to take the Bible. He knew the denominational confusion of the day. And he knew how many churches there were that he passed on his way to work. And you know what he decided he was going to do? He was not a Christian at this time. But he said, I'm going to go to each one of these churches. And I'm going to compare their practice and the way it is that they conduct themselves. And I'm going to compare that to Scripture and just see. And I want to find the one that's closest to what I read about in the Bible. You know what he did? He stopped at the Church of Christ there in New Zealand first. And he said, believe it or not, it ruined me. Because there wasn't anything else that I could go to and look and see a religious group that tried to adhere to what the Bible said better than that. Folks, I don't say that to be arrogant. Please understand, I say that with all the humility I can. But realize the fact that as much as we try to humble ourselves, and as much as we try and just live by the book, we want to do Bible things in Bible ways. We want to call Bible things by Bible names. We want to speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible is silent. And people are going to look at us and they're going to say, well, no, you're just being legalistic. You're just being exclusive. Listen, the church that Christ established is exclusive. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That's exclusive. And as much as we have friends and religious neighbors... We've got to realize, folks, that not everything that's peddled in the religious market is genuine. It's not. 
How do I know what's genuine? Folks, we've got to go back and we've got to look at it. Especially with regard to the beauty and the distinctiveness of the bride of Christ. What's my responsibility to the church? I need to abide in the teachings of Jesus. If you abide in my word, the Lord said, you are truly my disciples. What does that mean? That means that there are some that may be false disciples of Jesus. Because why? Because they're not following in the words of Jesus. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do whatever I've commanded you, John 15 and verse 14. If you love me, keep my commandments, John 14 and verse 15. You want to be honoring to Christ? You want to follow him? Do what he says. Abide in the teachings of Jesus Christ. Abide in my word, and you are truly my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What's truth? Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. Every word that Jesus spoke, every word that God has said, folks, we are accountable to, and humbly, submissively, we need to do it. Understand that we have a responsibility to grow in grace and knowledge. It is not God's will for your life and for my life to just be a bolt. It's not your will, and it's not, excuse, not God's will, it's not Christ's will, as you as a member of his church to be a bolt, holding down a pew. Your job, your responsibility is to do all things for the edification of the body. To grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. What that includes is not only looking out for our own interests, but also the interest of others. Philippians 2 verse 4, like we talked about in Bible class this morning. We have a responsibility to grow, but folks, we need to help the body to grow. We need to help the body to, to be edified and lifted up and to be more useful. You know, sometimes I have, I'll sit on my, uh, sit and I'll cross my leg. And whenever I stand up, you know what's happened is, uh, is whenever my leg is crossed, this leg falls asleep. And as that leg is falling asleep, you know what it takes the rest of the body doing? Come on, leg, wake up, right? You don't want to try and walk with a leg that doesn't work. Folks, as the body, we, the body, the church, the body of Christ, as we try and do things to reach others with the gospel, as we try and do things for the edification of the body, you know what sometimes we need to do? Wake up! Are you dead weight? Are you a person? That's a bolt. Are you a part of the body that's missing in action? You are not honoring Christ when you take that position. Brothers and sisters, we all have a part to play. The greatest treatise on how the body functions together and works together is from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Romans chapter 12 as a parallel because it talks about how the body works together. You have a part to play. You have a part to play. And you have a way that you can encourage the cause of Christ and the people of God that's unique to you. And it's something that can help us to go to heaven together. You have that. But if you're not growing, if you're not uh, strengthening your relationship with Christ and with his people, it's not honoring to Christ. It's not honoring to his church. 
and we need to change. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But folks, we have responsibility to share the gospel. We have responsibility to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever Jesus commanded. As we share the gospel, as we shine as lights in the midst of a dark world, you know what that's going to include? That's going to include teaching the distinctiveness in a religiously pluralistic and a religiously confused world. And there are going to be people that slam the door in your face because you're teaching Christ has one church. And that church is distinctive. And that church is on earth today. And you need to be a part of that church in order to go to heaven. There is a distinctive message that we preach, preaching the truth and love, Ephesians 4 and verse 15. And as we try and reach out to our friends and to our neighbors, folks, we're trying to help them because the Bible tells us that their eyes have been blinded by the ruler of this world. We want them to see. We want them to see the distinctive church that Christ established. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. When it is what Christ wants it to be. It is an aberration. When it is, folks, that we start introducing our own will and our own wants and our own wishes and our own opinions and our own thoughts about what the church ought to be. But every day we need to put the church in its place and realize that we submit ourselves to Christ and not to any teaching of man and not to any doctrine that man has invented because if we do that, we cease to be distinctive as the body of Christ and we just become a denomination. That is not what Christ wants. And if we miss that, folks, we missed it all. Get your song books, please, and open up to the song of invitation. One of the exercises I do occasionally when I'm privileged to teach a youth class is I'll say, all right, no restrictions. I want you to build your own church. How would you do it? It takes them a little while to kind of throw off this frame of thinking. But pretty soon, young people say something like, well, I'd have 30-minute worship. Great. We write up on the board, 30-minute worship. All right, what else? All right, uh, we want to get as many people in the seats, so let's have, um, let's have a 100-piece choir, and let's have an orchestra that sits up here. That's, you know, my dream for my own church, right? And I have a 100-piece orchestra, and uh, this person conducts. And whenever I get up to preach, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have a harness <laughs> that whenever I'm done preaching, it's going to lift me up into the ceiling, right, with a puff of smoke. And I want to make sure that people are fed, so we're going to have a 100-piece buffet out, out in the foyer, and we're going to not so much teach the Bible class, we're going to teach platitudes. We're going to teach things that make people really feel good about themselves and about their life and their relationship. And you know what else we're going to do? We're going to, and, and they go through and they, they establish all these things that they think are going to draw most people. Here's the question. What does Christ want? What does Christ want? See, I can be inventive all day long. But what Christ wants is that I be submissive to what he wants. And I don't add to. I don't take away from. 
I just follow him. Brothers and sisters, that's what he wants more than anything else. Are you following him this morning? Are you following him faithfully as a member of the church that he established? Are you being evangelistic as you know you need to be? Are you reaching out to your friends and neighbors the way it is that he wants us to? Are you being encouraging to the body the way it is that we ought to be? Are you reproving and rebuking and exhorting all of those people that, that may not necessarily have that relationship right? Are we helpful? Are we being a useful part of the body? If not, brothers and sisters, we need to repent. We need to change our minds and our hearts with what we've been doing. But if it is that we are, that God bless us to be more useful to the church. If it is that you are not a part of the church that Christ purchased with his own blood, there is but one way, and that is to obey the gospel. The Bible tells us we have to hear the fact that we have a Savior. God sent Jesus to die for our sins, for your sins, for my sins. And by faith, uh, and by, by faith we understand that Christ is who he says he is. And we understand what the Bible says, and we say, I'm going to submit to that. I'm going to repent of my previous ways of thinking. I just want to follow Jesus. We confess Christ before men. We're baptized into water for the forgiveness of our sins. We are raised to walk in newness of life. We are added to his church. And we get to walk with God every day to glory. Have you done that this morning? Are you ready to do that? If not, why not? If we can help you, if we can pray with you, if we can pray for you, if we can encourage you in any way, won't you make it known as we stand and sing our invitation song?